Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon series was originally given between August and November 2023. We hope this sermon is both meaningful and educational for you. In, in case anyone was wondering, this song is not about behaviors that we want to emulate, but it is, it is about the world in which we live and the brokenness and the pain and the heartache for so many people all concerned in this particular story. So, um, I've, we've invited you to grab Bibles. Um, as always, everything you need will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, it'll be easier to check out the context. We'll be, we'll be still in Matthew chapter 5, which is about at 1504 in the, in the red one. Um, so, otherwise you're just going to have to trust me, and I'll tell you what I want you to know. Uh, okay, um, so we are now in week four of our look at what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You can flip to the sermon slides. Uh, and the key to understanding what Jesus is talking about is in these three chapters of Matthew's Gospel is to remember what Jesus called it. What Jesus called it. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Augustine first called it that in the fourth century and all the rest of us call it that too up through today. But in Matthew uh, chapter 4 verse 23, Jesus called it something else. Now, now Dan isn't here so I'm not sure if anybody's going to yell answer back at me, but does anyone remember what Jesus called it? He, he, it's exactly right. He called it the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And so we see that, so we want to see everything that we talk about in the Sermon on the Mount through that lens. This is Jesus proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. What God's kingdom looks like and what Jesus' followers are called to do to live out that kingdom right in the middle of our lives and right in the middle of a world that lives very, very differently. So. If you remember last week, we said it was a lot like, and I thought this was a really helpful analogy. I don't know if anybody else liked it, but because I thought it was helpful, we're going through it again. Um, we said it was a lot like learning to drive on the left side of the road, okay? We've, all of us, I hope, have driven on the right side our entire lives, and, and in, in order to learn to drive on the left, you have to literally forget much of what we know and retrain, retrain ourselves to drive differently. And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's calling us to adopt the values of God's kingdom, which, which means literally retraining ourselves to think and to act differently, often in ways that are really counterintuitive and pretty much the opposite of how we normally behave. And Jesus, he takes it a step further and he asks us to do this right in the middle of a world that hasn't changed at all, right? It hasn't changed at all. And so it follows, it follows, right? That because we're living so differently from those around us, we can expect tension. We can expect collisions, like, like it, what would happen if we drive on the left side of the street and everyone else drives on the right, okay? So, go back a couple weeks ago, Jesus started his sermon talking about identity by telling people who were not considered blessed anywhere else in the entire world, the poor, the sick, the hurting, those who mourn, the important, unimportant nobodies of their time, that in God's kingdom, these people were blessed. And then, and then he takes the next step and he assures all of us that we too are blessed. We are salt, we are light, we are precious commodities that people can't do without. And like as salt and light, which are useful only when applied to other things, so Jesus calls us, all of us, his followers today, to exist for others, okay? To exist for others. 
Um, we're called to season this world as we partner with God to bless and free and heal those around us. We're called to shine as we reflect God's love in the dark parts of the world. And then, and then, only after first telling us who we are, only after first reminding us of our identity as blessed salt and light in God's eyes, only then, only then does Jesus tell us exactly what it means to live as Jesus followers in today's world. He starts out, he starts out by reminding us that we are called to um, live in right relationship with God and others, and, and the, the way the commandments call us to live, those commandments remain in effect, they are good and they are right, but, but, if we're gonna live in right relationship with God and others, we need to either even be more righteous than the, the Jewish leaders of his time. And so today, the next step, Jesus gives us examples of what it means to live into God's kingdom values by exploring four areas of life that were really, really important to people in the first century. And if at first you think that some of these topics aren't really relevant to us today, let's see if you still think that in another 20 minutes. Now, first Jesus starts with murder, okay? You have heard it said to the, that to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. My first thought, and I hope it's yours too, because otherwise I'm going to worry. Um, okay, I've got this, right? I've got this. I haven't murdered anybody recently. I think I think I can. I think I can move, right? But then Jesus doesn't stop there. That's see, that's the problem. He goes on. He says, "I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who insults a brother or sister is answerable answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fire of hell." Okay, Jesus ups the ante here, right guys? Haven't we, haven't we all been angry? I'm guessing we have. Haven't we all called people names at one point or another? You guys, this is Jesus taking another step and exposing the brokenness, the brokenness in all of us. And he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it again and again and again as we move through these four topics today. But as we're going through this, one caveat, um, stop for a minute. Because I don't want you to get caught up. I don't want you to get caught up in the threats of hellfire and damnation because, because um, he mentions it, and he's going to do it later on with a suggestion that we cut off body parts. Um, but this is Jesus just using a little or a lot of hyperbole to highlight the importance of what he's saying, okay? He is not speaking here literally. There was not a practice um, in, in the first century of people cutting off body parts. Um, so so just, just when you hear that, say, oh my, he really takes this seriously. This is really, really important to him. So remember what we said last week. It's all about the two most important commandments, right? Loving God with everything we got, loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? It's all about relationships. And here Jesus takes a look at what's behind some of the commandments to expose our brokenness. So see, you guys, Jesus doesn't wanna just change our behavior. Don't murder, okay? We can, we can live with that. But he wants to change our hearts. He wants to change our inner beings so that we begin to look more and more like Jesus himself. So we begin to love others and see others as God loves, as God sees. And that's, of course, exactly what it means to be a disciple, right? Okay, so 
Here Jesus, when he's talking about murder, he is not talking about the moment that we become angry at some injustice or perceived unfairness. That just happens. There's nothing we can do about that anger rises up. What he's talking about is what comes after, okay? How we deal with that anger that rises. And the Greek word here reflects a continuing, sustained anger. And Jesus is focused on how we let that anger get inside us, how we allow it to, to grow and to control our behavior. And if we think that being angry isn't something that impacts our culture today, just go on social media, check out the news. Our world, you guys, we know this, our world is full of angry people, right? People whose first reaction when anything doesn't go their way is anger and hate and vitriol, right? And that anger is often coupled with, with contempt, contempt for others, anyone who doesn't disagree, the kind of contempt that leads people to do a lot of the name calling and the belittling of others, which is exactly what Jesus warns against here. So. If, if you've ever been the target of name calling, you know how destructive words can be, right? It, it really, it's really dangerous, it's really harmful. Anger, you guys, we know this. Anger is a cancer in our culture. It, it hurts those to whom the anger is, is directed, but it also hurts those who are living in a constant state of rage, okay? It's, it's bad on your body, it's bad for your psyche, it's bad for your emotions. And Jesus tells us, that it is so important to address our anger, to make right our relationship with others, even if it means postponing our worship, right? Until we've, until we've done the right thing, right? That's exactly what it means to, to leave your gift on the altar. We all need to address the anger that simmers in us, to be open to God's transformative grace, to change our hearts, to look more like Jesus' heart, okay? Gen then Jesus moves on to adultery. And, um, let me tell you that, that each of these four topics is often a sermon in its own. And so, so we're just touching the, the surface here when I combine them all at once. If you, if you want to look at them more further, I can, I'd be happy to talk with you about any of them. Jesus then moves on to adultery, okay? You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart a la Jimmy Carter. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And as I said, there were not a whole bunch of, of one-handed people walking around in Jewish Palestine. So it's not, this is not literal. It's, it's again showing us how important Jesus thought this stuff would be. Okay? Note also, and, and this applies to both this topic and the next one on divorce. Who's Jesus talking to here? Who's Jesus talking to? You guys? You guys? He's talking to men, okay? He's talking to men. Okay, Jesus had female disciples, not the 12, but others that, that walked with him and were, were considered his, his disciples. But here he talks only to men. And there's a reason for that, okay? It's because of the patriarchal structure of the first century. Women had very, very little power, okay? And they were looked at almost well, not almost like, they were looked at as property, more as property than as people, okay? So Jesus offers a corrective here. He tells men in his audience that women are not objects to be used, okay? Instead, in God's kingdom, they are valued, they are respected. Once again, Jesus does what he did earlier with the Beatitudes. He takes the people on the bottom, here women, and he raises them up. That's the way things look in God's upside-down kingdom, okay? We're all raised up. Those on the bottom are raised to be equal to everybody else, unfortunately. We know that there's still a lot of objectification of women going on today as well, right? It was, that was the whole Me Too movement, right? And of course, 
we know this, people. Sub, such objectification, you just want to hear me say this word over and over again, is wrong, okay? It's wrong and it needs to stop. As Jesus followers, we're called to live in a community organized around love, not a community organized around power. And that applies to, to objectification of any person or group, right? Okay. But then Jesus comments, his, his comments, I mean, lots of people stop right there. But really, his comments go beyond correcting patriarchal culture. They speak, they speak now to each and every one of us, okay? Men, women, gay, straight, all of us. The commandment is clear. The commandment is clear. No one should end up in bed with somebody other than their covenantal partner, right? I mean, I, I hope that's clear to all of us. But Jesus addresses what happens before that. How do we get there? How do we, how do we get to that space? And Jesus tells us it has to do with one's orientation toward relationships. Because, because after all, what's, what's behind lusting after someone but a belief that these others exist primarily to gratify my own sexual desires? Everybody exists for me, right? They all exist for me. And that type of orientation, no matter, no matter how private I may think it is, well, nobody knows about it, it's just me, it degrades both my humanity and the humanity of whoever it is I'm lusting after, right? Whoever it is. And this, Jesus says, is simply not who we are, right? That's why setting out our identity at the beginning of the sermon was so important. This is not who we are. This is not what the community shaped by God's kingdom values looks like. And I can't leave this topic, even though I don't have a whole lot of time, I can't leave this topic without mentioning two other similar orientations that are, that are akin to lust and that can destroy relationships and make us less than who we are called to be. And the first is, it's often something that people call emotional adultery or an emotional affair, and it involves no physical breach of the marriage covenant, or at least it doesn't have to. But it does involve one partner sharing emotional intimacy and connection with someone other than their partner, okay? And, and if you've been on either end of this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even though no one jumps into bed with somebody else, okay, this type of emotional adultery breaches the trust of the relationship. And again, it undermines our commitment, it undermines our faithfulness, it undermines who, who we are, who we are as God's committed faithful people. And the second is pornography. Um, and it, it's another aspect of misdirected sexual desire. It's one that's seemingly accepted and indeed encouraged by large parts of our culture. For many, the problem is not our eyes or our hands, as Jesus pointed out. It's our phones, it's our computer, it's our tablets, where we think that we can watch porn and it won't hurt anybody. We can watch it and it won't bother anybody. Well, just like lust, porn encourages a self-centered orientation that sees other human beings as created solely for our sexual pleasure. And it does hurt others. It does hurt others, you guys. Those objectified on the screen, those others in the watcher's relationship that are trying to, to, to deal with it, and it hurts those who watch porn. There's all sorts of studies about how it hurts people. Again, again, take it back a step. Jesus' goal is to transform our hearts. It's not enough to, uh, to avoid physically committing adultery. Yeah, we should, we should avoid that, but we should also avoid objectifying people by seeing them as a means to satisfy our own physical or emotional desires, okay? In God's kingdom, see, we live differently. In God's kingdom, we work to enhance our committed relationships, not in ways that damage them. It only gets better. Okay, Jesus next tackles divorce, okay? And it, believe it or not, this was a really important topic in Jesus' time. It was so important that Jesus comes back to the same topic in chapter 19 of Matthew's Gospel, and there he spends a little more time on it. But once again, 
once again, Jesus directs his comments toward men, okay? And, 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 that's, and that's for a really good reason. Because in Jesus' culture, only men could initiate divorce, okay? Let's, let's hear that again. In first century Jewish culture, only men could initiate divorce. Doesn't matter how awful your relationship was as a woman, you couldn't do anything about it. And that says a lot about the culture. And some rabbinic teachings held that it could be for almost any reason. There was a conflict about whether it was limited or whether it was really expansive. Um, and some Jewish rabbis said it could be as much as a wife burning the dinner or the fact that the wife isn't as beautiful as another woman. That would be enough. You can then give your wife a certificate of divorce. And since in that culture, women were almost totally dependent upon man, men for their very survival. They had no way of earning money otherwise. Jesus stressed the importance of avoiding divorce whenever possible. And again, this was in part to protect women in that patriarchal society from being abandoned, from used, and, and left, okay? And because of the differences between then and now, we cannot simply drop Jesus' comments into our own 21st century, more egalitarian culture, okay? However, however, we do need to understand that in God's eyes, covenantal, Committed relationships like marriage are really important. They're really important. And they, and they shouldn't be abandoned without doing all that we can to keep the relationship intact, okay? On the other hand, these covenantal relationships are also intended to be life-giving, with both com parties committed to the well-being of the other. And we know that that's not always the way things work, okay? So here's the thing. This is coming from a divorced person, and I'm gonna tell you what I, what I tell people getting ready for marriage and what I tell people asking me these questions in a, in a relationship, okay? Don't give up on your marriage. Remain committed, remain faithful, keep God at the center of your relationship and do everything you can to love your spouse just like God loves you. Okay, it's really important, and it's, and it's so much easier when both of you have God as the center of your relationship. But recognize that we live in a broken world, and sometimes your partner isn't committed, as committed to you or your welfare as you are to your partners. And sometimes the relationship is not as life-giving as God wants for you. So yes, sometimes in our broken world, divorce is the better option, not not the option that God wants for either of you, but the best way forward. And then, remember that God continues to love you and continues to walk with you through the midst of that divorce and will continue to walk with you when you come out on the other side. And of that, I can assure you. Finally, oaths. And we're not talking about swearing here, we're talking about taking oaths like you take when, you, when, you, um, you know, when you're in court. It's important to remember that in the first century, it was predominantly an oral culture. People couldn't read, they couldn't write, so transactions, both commercial and personal, were done with oral promises, not written contracts. So it was really important that you could rely on what somebody told you. Their word and the, uh, the honesty and integrity of that word was really, really key. And making an oath was a common practice. You attached the promise to someone or something of importance, it was common. And while oath-taking, I think, the purpose of oath-taking was arguably to foster trust in the relationship. In, in practice, oaths were often used more as an escape clause to avoid keeping promises, much like kids who you know, cross their fingers behind their backs so then they don't have to tell the truth or they think they don't have to tell the truth, okay? Certainly, truth-telling is something that's becoming increasingly rare in today's culture. 
where it, where it seems that almost any lie can become the truth if it's told often enough, told over and over again, or if it appears on social media. That also works. Indeed, truth-telling has become so uncommon, in, certainly in the political arena, that presidential debates and speeches are often followed by fact-checking news reports detailing all the inaccuracies that occurred. You guys, and these are our leaders, right? And we know that how our leaders speak how our leaders speak just filters down to the rest of us and impacts how we all treat each other. And you know this, God calls us to another way. We are to be honest. We are to be people of integrity whose words can be trusted and acted upon. We are called to be people who are faithful to our promises and honest in whatever we say. We use our words to build up and encourage rather than lie and demean. Okay? So overall, and we, like I say, we just touched upon these four topics. Overall, what we have here is Jesus connecting the dots for his listeners from outward acts to internal orientation, from murder to anger, from adultery to lust. It's one thing to behave rightly. It's another thing entirely to have one's heart oriented toward love. Jesus shifts our attention from particular behaviors to avoid to interior orientations to cultivate. He wants, bottom line, he wants us to regard each other just as God regards each of us. And the key, of course, when we come back to this at the end of every sermon, the key to remember is that this is a grace thing, okay? I've, I've, I've talked a lot about, and, if, and if, we don't, if we don't realize the importance of grace in this occasion, it sounds like a bunch of laws, right? We cannot do this on our own. Transforming hearts and transforming relationships is something that God does in us and through us. We need, we need God's empowering grace. But, but with that grace, with copious amounts of that grace, we can live as Jesus' disciples even in a world that lives so differently. And if you thought this Sunday was hard, next Sunday, we look at the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, loving our enemies, more of a challenge. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music, John Uzardo engineered the sound, Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties, and I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.